Thank you for being here again. Uh, if you're a guest, thank you for being our guest. And uh, we want to uh, make your time here a blessing. So uh, stop by the Welcome Center and we'll answer any questions and hopefully help you as we can. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 5. And uh, as Brother Tony said, it's been an interesting week. And, uh, but I am so excited about uh, the truths that we have in Scripture and the, thing, and the truths that we hold on to. Uh, that God is on the throne, He is in control, this world is not our home, we're just passing through, uh, but we definitely have a mission, and it's interesting, as I said the last few weeks, that uh, we as a people in this nation, in this day and time, are dealing with some of the craziness and the chaos that's going on in our world, and the study that we're doing as a church is looking at a first church that's about to get really, really interesting. Uh, it's already been a little bit uh, of a struggle, uh, some of the things that they've gone through, uh, but it's going to start getting amped up and a little bit more difficult. So I think it'll help us as we continue to move forward and march forward in this study. And so I hope that you'll be here each week and, uh, and, and walk through this with us. But last week we saw uh, amazing, an amazing thing that God did through this unified church. And it's such a, a blessing to see when, when a group of people, when a church submits to the Lord, submits to the, the leadership that God puts in place, goes the direction that God wants it to go, what he can do. Again, this group had, had spiritual unity because they had a spiritual desire and they made the decision to be together. And so again, uh, no matter di how difficult I'm going to charge you, no matter how difficult days may get in our life, no matter how difficult our world may get, it's so vital for us as the people of God and as a church to have and maintain and, and cultivate the desire to still gather and to make the decision to still gather. And we got brothers and sisters around the world who don't have the freedoms that we have had our whole life. And they are making the decision and they have the desire to gather together. Some of them have to do it underground. And, and, and when I say underground, it doesn't necessarily mean literally under the ground. Some of them are underground. Uh, but sometimes they're meeting in houses, in different levels of the houses, to stay concealed. And so, uh, again, we, we, we have this, this example before us of the church it's still going on today. If it comes to our world, we need to make sure that we are spiritually unified, making the decision with the spiritual desire to be together. The second thing that we saw was they were submitted to, as I said a while ago, had respect for the church leaders because they had been submitted to and had respect for God and understanding that God is the one that organizes, ordains, and, and orchestrates everything in his church. It's vital for us to stay submitted to him. And again, it's in that submission, it's in that respect that we saw this great fruit happen. The scripture says that more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Again, I don't know about you, I've been praying for that, been praying for that before this year came. We've been uh, praying as, as men meet uh, every Sunday morning at 7 o'clock, it's on our prayer list. We pray that this would be a fruitful year, that we would see more souls saved than we ever have before. And I think that is something that God desires to do, but... Um, we have got to be the ones that are in line, submitted to, and respecting uh, the Lord uh, and, and following his plan for him to do that. So again, there was this clear separation. There was a clear work of God. And uh, as we see this account of the, the first church, we know that Peter was that main leader of those leaders. And uh, we know that history will, will show that Peter remains kind of the leader of that first group of leaders until he kind of goes off and makes some travels, and then uh, James becomes the pastor there in Jerusalem uh, amidst persecution. But uh, I want to pray this morning and continue on in our study, 
and see, uh, some, again, some more important truths for us today. So let's pray. Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you again for your word. Um, we thank you for the opportunity, the freedom to gather in this place. And uh, Lord, we pray that you will just stir our hearts and draw us to you. Lord, as we are drawing near to you, as we've done that in prayer and, and praising and, and, and now in your word, uh, Lord, help, help us to grab hold of what you want us to grab hold of. And I pray that we just wouldn't go through another service on a Sunday. I pray that our minds wouldn't stray to other places, but God, we would be completely in tune to you, your word, and allow your spirit to work in this place in our hearts. And uh, we'll praise you for what you do, and we'll praise you for um, the things that maybe we don't even see you do. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, God was um, working in this church in such a mighty way the authority and the power that this, uh, this church had and, and, and the leaders had um, was clear. Again, the Bible says that no one of the church joined themselves to that group of apostles, and that's an important thing. Again, we, we talked about it a little bit, that uh, the apostles were a group of men that, that Jesus chose to specifically build his church on. They were the foundation. Remember, Jesus said, you're going to be, uh, to Peter, uh, you're no longer going to be called this, but you're going to be called this. And upon this rock, talking about himself, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You go on in the, in the letters and it tells us that the apostles are the foundation of the church. And uh, Jesus being the chief cornerstone. And it's so vital for us to understand the way that the Lord is working then. He can still work now. There are some distinctions with that group of apostles that we need to understand as we continue to move forward. Chapter 15, it says this. So they brought the sick out of the out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing might fall on some of them so again there's a distinction between the apostles what God was doing at that point in time to establish the fact that these were his men this was his church the works that Jesus did these apostles are now continuing on it was that foundational establishing phase of the church in the absence of God in the flesh, but in, with the presence of God in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so again, this is such a vital thing. But I, I want to point this out again. We've talked about Peter several times, and, it, and I think it's so important for us to understand this. But they, it says they brought the sick into the streets. They had them on beds. They laid them in, in the streets so that as Peter was walking around, that maybe even his shadow would, would pass by them in hopes that they would be healed by even his shadow. Now, point number one is, is this, that God takes the mundane and he does the miraculous. Just regular old Peter, we've talked about him before. We've talked about the fact that maybe that's what last week when Ananias and Sapphira went to Peter thinking that because he was a liar, it was okay for them to lie. Whatever the case may be, we see that Peter, just a man but chosen and used by God, was, just, again, just a, a mundane, regular, earthly man. But God does the miraculous through someone like that. And sometimes I think you and I, especially in the world that we live in now, can get really wrapped up in hype and emotions, right? Um, you can go to a, a concert or you can go to a, a megachurch and you can see all the things that, that get stirred up. And there's a lot of hype and a lot of emotion. And so there's a lot of Christians, even in, in, in hopefully not in here, but that, that come to church, that to, to go to experience something spiritual and all they're trying to tune into is the emotional hype 
And if they get emotionally stirred, then they equate that to being spiritually stirred. And that's a real danger there. I want to, again, encourage you that God takes ordinary things. He takes ordinary people, just like you and me, on ordinary days, like just a regular day. And he does the extraordinary. That's sometimes what we're looking for, God to do something like, you know, shake the walls or or the earthquake to to shake or, 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 or all of these, you know, people move at the invitation or all those things would be amazing but God also does it on the day that you get up for work call on his name open his word drive to work go about your day encountering people here encountering people there serving helping being with your family going to your adult connect group whatever God on ordinary days God does the extraordinary things. And again, as I prayed a while ago, sometimes we don't see the things that God does. Sometimes we don't see how he's working in circumstances. Sometimes to us that look mundane, regular, ordinary, and even negative and bad. Like what we were maybe dealing with in in our nation, our world, so much confusion, so much hurt, so much division, so many negative things that you see and you hear. Don't think that God's not at work. God is absolutely at work. We have got to be the ones that are submitted to him and faithful to him so that he uses us as the instruments that he wants to use even when things are like this. Again, Peter wasn't viewed at this point in time just as as old Pete, you know, we talked about before. He wasn't viewed like that anymore. He wasn't viewed as that foul-mouthed, lying sailor. Remember, he cursed the fact that he didn't know Jesus. He cursed his name. He denied him. He lied about it. Again, he wasn't seen as that person anymore. Now he was a redeemed child of God. Now he was chosen and anointed by God to preach and to lead this first church. And people began to have respect to God for what God was doing and using a vessel like Peter. It makes me wonder what would happen right now in this church In every church in this country, around this whole nation, if the people of God would truly respect the Lord, would give him the very first and give him the very best of everything. If the people of God, starting in this place, would have reverence that he is present and he is active, and that we would stop going about our lives like God only matters on Sundays. What would happen? I, I, can't, I can only assume the reason that we find ourselves in, in the conditions that we live in, and of course, other than God, his will and his, and his time frame being accomplished, is maybe the fact that the, the, the people who call themselves the people of God really show God the reverence and the respect and that he really does matter on days that we gather together. What God would do in and through the church today if every single day of our lives we submitted to and respected and reverenced and lived out in that godly fear what God has called us to do. I wonder if he would add multitudes of men and women in the last hour of this last day. I pray that. But if we don't stop continuing and, and being preoccupied with temporary things primarily, then I believe we're going to miss the great hand of Almighty God in our lives and in our nation. 
if we don't grab his eternal vision of eternity with him. If we don't grab that and live it out, that we are his laborers in his vineyard right now. This is the opportunity that he's afforded to us in his grace. That we are the workers that are supposed to bring them in from the fields of sin. When the veil of time is torn away, I believe when that happens, we're going to see for the first time with eternal eyes. And I believe we'll realize what we've missed and the opportunities that passed us by. And realize how devastating the reality of lost souls burning in torment for all of eternity really is. I believe it will hit us in that moment. I believe that we say we want to have that reality now. I want to I live with eternity inside. I want to live with a passion for souls. I want to live with reverence and respect for God every single day in the ordinary, all the time. I want to be that vessel that God uses. I want to have my mind set on things above. I want to do all those things right now. We talk about it. We say we care. And on occasion, maybe we pray about it. Act like we do at times. But how moved are we really? Really, with compassion and with passion for lost souls. How really moved are we? I think that we should realize now, and as I said last week, that we need God to give us a heart for him and a heart for souls like never before. I feel like that the, the war in, in the world, the spiritual war, the spiritual warfare, the battle that is going on and has been going on our entire lives, I believe now is starting to become a little bit more evident in our world and in, in what we're experiencing. And I, I think it's so vital for us to not try to scrape and crawl and scrap and try to get back to a life from, from, from before to normal. But we realize the moment that we're living in and live in the battle and know that the battle is the Lord's. These people now in this first church realized that God could use and God could do anything. He could even use the shadow of just a common fisherman who was nothing more than that in and of himself to do the miraculous. This realization again that this is what God had chosen. This is what God had instituted. That God uses the base things to confound the mighty. He uses the foolish things to confound the wise. So again, he gets the glory that belongs solely to him. In that first church, he still does today. It's not that, that God is saying that every single one of us is, is, is supposed to go out and, and stand on a mountaintop and, and, and preach in the open air or anything like that. But we are supposed to live our lives where we're at, again, in the ordinary, and be the witnesses and have a broken heart and a passion for souls and to be the light, to be the salt, to make a difference. To bring others to the Lord. And so again, we move on in, in verse 16. is also a great multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who are tormented by unclean spirits. And I want you to look at this next phrase. And they were, look at this, all healed. All of them healed. There's a lot of fakes. There's a lot of counterfeits. There's a lot of uh, people that are manipulating people in the, the Christian and the spiritual realm today. And uh, there's, there's a lot of testimonies that you can find of people that went to healing services and all that kind of stuff like that that were not healed and were not healed completely. Listen, when God heals somebody, 
He heals them 100%. 100% of the time. This point is such a vital point in so many different areas. And I, and I want you to write it down, underline it, circle it, whatever you have to do in your notes. But God is the 100% God. He is the 100% God. And what that means is many things. But I want to kind of go through some of the things of what, I, what I'm saying in this is, is, is this. First of all, he, is, he alone is God. He is God alone 100%. He's 100% God. Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's only one. Isaiah 45.5, I am the Lord, there is no other. Beside me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. Ephesians 4.6, one God, one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. He is the 100% God. Again, meaning when he heals, it's complete. When he saves a soul, it's complete. When he forgives it's complete. God doesn't work in part. Think about this. After creation, what did he say? He said it was good. He didn't say it was eh, so-so. God didn't create everything and say, ah, eh, I could have done better. You know, He didn't say that. The Israelites crossed the Red Sea, the Bible says, on dry ground. It wasn't muddy ground. Jesus fulfilled, the Bible says, all of the law. He proclaimed on the cross, it is finished. It is complete. Not mostly done. Not done for most people. It is finished. And the empty tomb then is still 100% empty now. He gives and he does completely. 100%. He is the 100% God. These, these physical healings that were going on in this first church, first church were clear indication that it was all God. But these physical healings, of course, were a great glimpse of what the, the healing that only God can provide, a spiritual healing that comes from one complete work, the punishment and the death that Jesus endured on our behalf the familiar scripture that we know that many people abuse and misuse and misunderstand, Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed spiritually. Our need, our greatest need is to be healed spiritually. And that's what Jesus did. These physical healings point to that. That he has the power to heal and heal completely 100%. But as I said a while ago, this, this salvation, this, this healing, this spiritual healing is, is the most important thing. And he gives it wholly. There's a lot of people that struggle with the assurance of their salvation. They, they mess up in their, as a Christian and they, they, they think, well, do I need to get saved again? Does, do Christians do this? Do Christians say this? Do Christians act like this? If you are truly saved, your life is his. It is never going to be taken away from him your life john chapter 10 jesus said that my sheep hear my voice and i know them and here's an indication that you're a child of god and they follow me i give them eternal life listen to this word they will never perish never and no one will snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hands 
That word is an absolute qualifier, meaning nobody, including the person. You cannot remove yourself from the hand of God. If you're truly saved, if you are truly a child of God, you are a child of God. You have eternal life. And that's where the distinction has to come in. Do you, have, do you know that you know that you know 100% that you are a child of God because you surrendered your whole life to him. You laid it down. You accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. His death on the cross, by his stripes we were healed. His resurrection from the dead. You surrendered. You turned away from sin and you turned to Jesus Christ and you are following him. And again, on that path of following Christ, there's no doubt as people who are battling day by day in the flesh that we will stumble that we'll trip and fall, that we will mess up, that there will be times that we do that. But as 1 John says, we will not live in that because we're no longer slaves to sin. His salvation is wholly given. He gives his hope and his peace that's full and complete. I love that. Listen, if you're struggling this morning with finding peace, you're struggling with what's going on in your life, struggling with what's going on in this world, I encourage you, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you see, no matter what you experience... You can experience all joy and all hope as you are abounding, continuing to grow in that hope because of the Spirit empowering that. He gives joy that's full and complete, John 15, 11. These things I've spoken to you that you, my joy, Jesus said, may be in you and that your joy may be full, complete, not lacking anything. Again, no matter what your circumstances are, you can have 100% joy. It doesn't mean that you're happy or you're happy or you like the things or the like the things, the, 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 the way that you feel or the things you're going through, the things that you see, the things that are going on in the world. But you can have joy in the midst of it and it can be full joy because of him. But you've got to turn your eyes on him. John 16, 24, until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Ask him. God, I want full joy. I want full peace. I want full hope. Turn my eyes to you. We're writing these things in 1 John that our joy may be complete. He gives us comfort that's full and complete as well. If you're struggling with being comforted in the midst of, of, of trial or uh, struggle, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Listen to this, who comforts us in all our affliction. If you're a child of God, and you're being afflicted, you're struggling with something right now, you can experience all comfort in the midst of every affliction, all affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we are abundantly in Christ, we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. I love that. He gives his direction and his guidance. I'm struggling right now. What direction do I go? He gives it 100%. This is what you need to do. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And here's the, here's the promise. He will make your path straight. He'll direct your path. He'll give you direction 100%. He gives promises that are complete. 
2 Corinthians 1, all, his promises, all the promises of God in him are yes and in him are amen. You don't have to worry, is God going to keep his promise? Why are we dealing with this? Why are we going with this? We prayed about this. You don't have to worry about God keeping his promise. He will keep his promise. It's just sometimes it doesn't happen the way that we think it should happen or in the time that we think it should happen. But he never fails in his promises. He is truth and he is life. Said that in First John, I mean in John chapter fourteen, verse six. Listen, regardless of what you see, regardless of what you feel, regardless of what you experience in this temporal world, there's a day coming soon that we're going to see the majesty of God in person. I cannot wait for that day. I cannot wait to see the majesty enthroned on high with my own eyes. So let's stand on His promises. Let's trust Him wholly. Let's obey Him with our whole heart. Serve Him sacrificially let's speak of him relentlessly and love him with every fiber of our being while we have this time left on this earth you can find all of your confidence in him absolutely and that's what he wants the season of our lives that we're living in and i i want to say this because this is what we are as americans what's going on in our world it's wrought with with questions it's, it's, it's laced with chaos and confusion. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of frustration, a distraction, division, and many other things going on in our world. And I believe the enemy puts lures of enticement in the midst of all of this to draw us away from focusing on the eternal. What are you focusing on right now? What has got your focus and your heart? What are you focusing on? Placing our daily confidence in the Lord is what has to happen. But the enemy will put everything out there to pull that away. He uses many things. Entertainment, busyness, trials, work, activity, stuff, sin. So many things. But let's be the people of God that trust him. Let's be the people of God that rely on him, look to him daily as an urgent, desperate need to have his truth guide us, to have his spirit fill us, to have his plan accomplished through us. But it's got to be a desperation. Let me ask you that. Ask, evaluate it yourself. Look in your own heart. Can you honestly say right now you are ultimately desperate for God because he is God? Or have you gone through something? Are you going through something right now that's making you desperate for God to act? And you say, yes, that's me. Then know that God has you there, I think in one part, to show you he wants you to be there every day without the problem, without the desperate cry for him to intercede or intervene. He wants you to wake up every day and as the deer pants for the water brook, he wants you to pant after him. Not just because you need him to fix something or help you with something or take away all the issues here. Every day he wants us desperate for him. He's the 100% God. So let's be the 100% followers. But this type of ruckus, of course, didn't sit well with the skeptics and with the critics. Those who weren't willing to let go of their ways and actually trust God wholeheartedly. And of course, this still happens today, sadly in the church even. 
Everyone can become a critic at, at some point in time and, uh, again, a skeptic. God is looking for those who are simply going to trust him, trust his word. Look what happens in verse 17. Then the high priest rose up and all who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees. And they were filled with indignation and they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Why? What, what was going on? What were they doing? People were literally being healed. People who were filled with demonic spirits were being delivered. Good things were actually happening in the community. Things were going right. Things were going good. Things were well. Everything was, everybody was being encouraged about what was going on. And then you have this group come in and say, this can't happen. This is wrong. We're going to shut it all down. So they go and they grab the apostles and they throw them in prison. This word indignation gives us an idea, of course, why they did what they did. The word indignation here means jealousy in the Greek. So they were filled with jealousy. They had a contentious rivalry stirring in them because of jealousy. They saw the people who they had been leading before, who were giving allegiance to them as the spiritual leaders, now turning and putting all their confidence in Jesus Christ, this guy who they had crucified, who they said that, you know, they, they, he rose from the dead. And these people are continuing in his work, these mighty works. And so they said, this is not going to happen anymore. We want the people to follow us. They were filled with jealousy, consumed them just like it did King Saul when God was using David. The truth, though, about jealousy and envy and contentious rivalry is it can still consume us even as the people of God. And when that happens, it acts as a barrier to the work and the will of God. It's a spirit quencher. Christians can have it towards other Christians. I've heard other pastors have it towards other pastors. If you're here this morning and you have envy or jealousy or bitterness or resentment, even unforgiveness in your heart this morning, you need to know that the longer that it's harbored in your heart, the longer Satan has an open door to hinder the work of God. The longer the Spirit of God will be quenched among us in this place. Again, God uses vessels. That's what he's chosen. That's what he will continue to do until he comes back to this earth. And you and I have a choice to yield to him. Not yielding ourselves as instruments of unrighteousness against sin, but yielding ourselves to, to, to righteousness unto God. Envy, jealousy, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness. They're all tools that Satan loves to use, even in the church. I think especially in the church. Don't continue to give him more time. Don't continue to give him more room. Don't allow to him to, to have that, that open door to hinder what God wants to do in your life, in this place, through this place, through this, this church. The jealousy of these religious leaders drove them to lock up the people that God was using in an amazing way in this first church. And so what we see again is another, inst another instance of persecution against the church. I've said before, when we start immersing ourselves in the Lord, listen, if you, let's say for instance, you walk out of this place today, and you say, you know what, I'm going to devote myself to being in God's word, 
with passion every day. I'm going to devote myself to praying, calling on his name with passion every day. I want to walk with him. I'm going to be desperate for him. I don't want to be, I don't want to just be desperate for God whenever things are going bad for me and I need him to, to fix something. I want to be desperate for all, all, all the thing, every, everything, every day uh, for the Lord. I, I want to be desperate for him. If you walk out of this place like that today, just know 100% that the enemy is coming to try to knock you off of that commitment. He's going to try to, to pull you away and pull you back and to distract you once again to being focused on something else other than being desperate for the Lord. When you start immersing yourselves in the Lord, when you start becoming faithful to his work and being that vessel that he wants to use, get ready because the enemy's coming to try to stop it. And that causes some people to fear and pull back. So what does that mean? I mean, does that mean something's going to happen to my family? Is that something's going to happen to me? Listen, God is God. He is 100% God, and if you are his child and you are becoming desperate for the him, then he is not going to allow anything in your life that's not in his perfect will, that's not ultimately best for you. What we want is a, is a bed of roses every day of our life on this earth, and it just does not look like that. But we strive for it, and we want it. We want it every day. Uh, the greatest things that he tries to do is to stop our mouths because we are the vessels we are the the light we're the salt and so if he can get us just to stop telling people stop inviting people stop being a witness i think the enemy's happy and i believe unfortunately we have a sense of immunity with all this when it comes to persecution in america i've said this before but we got to remember that satan will stop at nothing he will stop at nothing so I, need, I believe that we need to cling closely to the Lord first of all, but also think that we need to keep our eyes fixed on him as we are faithful to him in this mission. Just because we've been so blessed, we've never faced the type of persecution that's happening uh, around the world that's happening in this study, it doesn't mean that it's not going to come here. I urge you, Christian, to stay on alert. Stay sober and vigilant because the adversary, don't be fearful. I'm not saying be fearful. Be spiritually alert, be sober and vigilant, not fearing but trusting the Lord. Acts chapter 5 verse 19 says, But at, at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. <laughs> Think about that. So they get thrown in prison, God delivers them, and his charge to them is not go back and, 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 and check on your families, which maybe they did that, we're just not told that. Their charge was not to go make sure that they still had a job. They didn't do that. We're not told that. He said, I'm going to release you, and I want you to go back in the temple and stand and speak to all, uh, to, to the people all the words of this life. When they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught, but the high priest and those with him came and called the council together while all the elders and children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. Now think about this. Their freedom from God was to ensure that their mouths wouldn't be shut for the kingdom of God. Their freedom that God gave them was specifically to ensure that their mouths wouldn't be shut for the kingdom, but that they would go out and proclaim. Their freedom was to ensure that their mouths wouldn't be shut for the kingdom. Here we are in the most free nation in all the world. 
really, I don't know that any of us have really known what it is to face persecution. Real, severe persecution, even like this. We're not locked up, figuratively or literally locked up. We have this freedom for what? The angel of the Lord didn't say, okay, you're free now. Use this opportunity to build an empire. Your business has got to really boom and hit really fast. Go do this in this free condition because you might not have this freedom anymore. Their mandate was to use the freedom to speak the gospel. Number three, and we'll be done. A great privilege of freedom is to freely proclaim the gospel. A great freedom, a great privilege of freedom is to freely proclaim the gospel. I would hate to get to this point of persecution in our world, in our nation. And then realize, oh man, I got friends, family members, co-workers, neighbors, people that need to hear the gospel. And now I, I don't have that freedom anymore. We've got the freedom. We have the opportunity now, without persecution, to speak freely the words of life. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm going to just read a couple of verses. Verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are per perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let the, shine, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure, I believe that's the gospel, in earthly vessels and jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. That's how we should see our lives, that, that we are laid down, living sacrifices so that other people could come to know the Lord. Who else in the world, who else among all the nations, the people, should be a better example of speaking the word of life to those who are lost than American Christians? But is our mouth open or is it shut with the gospel? We have freedom to speak the gospel freely. But are we? Are there our brothers and sisters around the world who are facing some persecution who have more of a passion to share the gospel with their lost friends, neighbors, and family members than we who have no persecution and affliction to do that face? Let's use the freedom and the open door not to build a, a temporary empire for ourselves but to speak the words of life and see the eternal kingdom of God built. We open our spiritual eyes and see the open door before us, before that door is shut on us. Let's speak the words of life while we have time.
while it's open. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity that we have here to be in your word and the challenge before us, God. We know that you are 100% God and you are the 100% God. You do everything perfect, complete. You lack nothing. And so we know that we are yours. Those of us who have placed our faith in you, those of us who surrender our lives to you, Lord, we know that we are your people. And God, right now you've given us amazing freedom in this land. And I just pray that in this church, your people, would, we would no longer be preoccupied or distracted. But God, we would use the freedom that you've given us to openly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before it's too late, before the door's shut, before time runs out. Lord, help us be desperate for you. For we know that you uh, are in control. Lord, there's a lot of thoughts, a lot of feelings, a lot of things going on, even in, in our lives, in this place. But help us to turn our eyes to you. Help us to fix our eyes on you. And be who you've called us to be. Lord, we're asking to move now on in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand, I encourage you to come as, as the Lord leads.